Welcome to Miked Up Sports, the show that gives people in sports an unfiltered platform to share their stories. If you want to help us tell more stories, check us out at patreon.com slash television, paypal.me slash television, or on Cash App at TSB Television. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another live edition of Miked Up Sports, the show that goes in depth with people who build our sports community. If you're watching us live on Facebook, no, it's not a misprint, not a technical error. This is our second show in a taping session, but we're glad you can join us live. And if you're watching us on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, we're glad you can join us there as well. My guest for this rendition of Miked Up Sports is Jasmine Patterson. You might remember her from her time as a basketball athlete at Washburn High School in Minneapolis, played for a time at the University of Northwestern in St. Paul, and has since transitioned into multiple advocacy efforts. She is the program coordinator for the Black Women's Wealth Alliance and spends a lot of time advocating physical and mental health on her social media pages. Her Instagram reels are filled with positive, uplifting messages. So Jasmine, thanks for coming on. And I just want to give you props for doing what you can to provide a sense of hope, uplifting others, and letting people know that it's okay to experience all these emotions and with yourself and there's a way to do it in a healthy manner. So I appreciate what you're doing to promote community awareness, whether it's helping fellow women of color like yourself get a start with their business careers or making sure that people know that it's sometimes okay to not be okay. So this is a sports-centric podcast. We'll start with that. I know you played basketball. Were there any other sports you played growing up? And when did you get that first itch to play? Yeah. Um, So actually, I've been playing basketball since I was four years old. Uh, Basketball has kind of been the only sport I played. I played volleyball in middle school my eighth grade year for maybe a month or two. But I ended up quitting um, because I just wanted to focus on basketball. And then... um, I played or I ran track at Washburn to my eighth grade year and ninth grade year, but uh, I didn't stick with that either. Uh, I started to run or play basketball and do AAU instead and focus on that. So, um, yeah, my whole mom's side, all we do is play basketball. Uh, three of my cousins as well went to Washburn and played basketball there. And my mom also graduated from Washburn and played basketball there as well. So you have uh, an entire family lineage connected to that school. Yeah, yeah. How did basketball win out amongst the other sports because you decided to focus on that over time after competing in a few others like track? So how did basketball stand out? And what made you want to play that beyond uh, high school? Um, so I was told after my mom passed when I was seven, uh, that at one point she wanted to declare to the draft for the WNBA. Um, but she found out she was pregnant with me, so she wasn't able to do that. Uh, so I took it upon myself when I was a kid, I was like, yeah, I'm just focused on basketball and, um, I'm going to make it to the WNBA for her play overseas or something for her. 
Um, and that really just was my focus and that was my goal. And no, it didn't necessarily happen, but I did realize that I had other passions and drives um, that I wanted to explore. So took on some of that instead. And you know what? Congrats to you for accomplishing that because no matter where you are, I think you've heard that phrase or you've seen the tweets that say, you know, if you go to a JUCO or NAIA, whatever school, that's a big deal. And with what you're doing, like you said, you discovered some other passions and I'm sure your mother would be proud of that just as much as you've, you have made the WNBA. Uh, but even if you weren't able to get to the WNBA and a lot of players aren't quite able to do that, I think if they get a few more teams, it might be a more legitimate path for some athletes, but how do you think you inherited your mother's ambition? She wanted to go to the WNBA or had those aspirations, but she had you. And even though you weren't able to wear a WNBA uniform, it's clear you have found a way to succeed, not just as an athlete, but in the career field. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I've heard from a lot of people that didn't know my mom that I definitely got my ambition and drive from her. Um, and I think these are also other things that she would have deemed important too as well. So uh, I don't, by not going to the WNBA or anything, I don't feel like I've failed or anything necessarily, for sure. Um, I think that she would definitely, like you said, still be proud about a lot of the stuff that I have gotten to, into and that I have decided to do. And truthfully, um, I don't really know if my mom would have put basketball so much as a pressure on me like I did to myself. Um, I remember she would try and show other avenues and stuff to me as a kid, and she really focused on education. Um, because of her, I got into kindergarten when I was four years old. So like, I know for a fact that education was really huge to her. And um, I do feel like I'm still exploring that avenue that she would have been, or she was pretty passionate about as well. What do you think you inherited from your mother? mentioned ambition, but even if she's not with you to see all of these accomplishments you have reached in life and in your career, in what ways do you think is she, is she still with you? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, it's all the stories I've heard about her, like below this, below that. I've heard so much about her since my mom passed. Um, I remember when I was a kid, probably one of the most awkward moments all the time was people would walk up to me and they would be like, you're Veloa's daughter, aren't you? And I'd be like, yeah. And instantly they'd hug me and sometimes even start crying. And it would be so weird. Cause I'm like, you know, 10, 12 years old. Uh, it happened a few times in high school too. And it's kind of like, there's a stranger just hugging me and crying and talking about all these good things that my mom did for them. And I'm kind of just like, well, why are you touching me? Like, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Cause I don't know you, but, um, personal space being, folks. Right. Yeah. Like please six feet, <laughs> but um, <laughs> six feet long before six feet was a catchphrase. Of course <laughs> you had that down pat. You, we probably started it. I was waiting for it, waiting for it. <laughs> but um, definitely like being able to see that, I realized like, wow, my mom, like that's what people mean by like leaving the legacy behind. 
uh, she definitely left that behind and she showed me that she was always moving in a way to impact people. And I've realized, you know, her impact and legacy is what she left behind. And it's like, well, wow, I want to leave an impact and legacy like that behind. Like, I mean, yeah, it's kind of weird, but I mean, that's kind of cool. People walking up to your kid and just being able to feel those emotions and say like, wow, your mom did this for me. Your mom showed me this or she and just being able to see that impact that it still had on people even years after she passed it's like wow like my mom was really grinding like she was working really hard to um be able to leave something behind and not just be here so if you don't mind me asking jazanae mm -hmm. what do you make of that experience uh, where you mentioned losing your mother at the age of seven and there's never a good time to lose a parent and then you have to somehow navigate this weird terrain where people who remembered your mother and what she did they're coming up and you're saying they're giving you hugs you've never met these people before but these strangers even though you've never met them they felt some sort of connection to your mother how did you work your way through all of that because growing up as a kid having all of this happen to you before you even get to high school i imagine it's not something anyone can really train you for. Yeah, no, <laughs> you definitely can't. Um, I think I really, I had a choice. Um, people, I guess they could have been walking up to me and telling me how much they hated my mother, how horrible she was, but it's like, <laughs> people weren't- That really would have been awkward. <laughs> right, that would have been really awkward. And it's like, um, I don't know, I guess I'm the closest thing to my mom, I was her daughter. And sometimes I think, when people aren't able to say goodbyes how they wanted to, I don't think we ever actually at all have a good way of saying goodbye to somebody who's gonna leave the earth or whatever. So um, I am, you know, the closest thing to that in a sense. And like, I got to a point where I really did have to start trying to think as if I was in that person's shoes. And if my mom really had that great of an impact on them and they didn't get to say goodbye or, you know, whatever it was, like, I'm kind of that, like, that closing for them. Um, so, honestly, like, for me, that means, like, I got to level up and I got to do better, too. Like, clearly, there's a legacy I have to leave behind as well. Like, I'm, I'm her only child. So, um, the pressure is definitely there. <laughs> the pressure is definitely there. But... Um, I don't know. I, I don't think there's really any way that you can learn how to handle it. If anything, I use it as motivation um, to just want to do better and be better and to not let those people down too. Because in a sense, those are kind of the people who have supported me this time throughout this time too as well um, because of the impact that my mom had on them. Well, just don't forget, Jazanae, that your mother established her own legacy and the only legacy you're in control of is your own. And if, so no matter what you do, don't worry about whether or not you're living up to, her. I'm sure you've uh, understood that point by now, but I tell yeah. folks all the time, yes, your mother, it sounds like established a legacy, but you're doing the same thing in your own way. And that's what people are, I think are going to remember. Not like, oh, did she live up to her mother? But as we said yeah. at the start of the podcast, what you're doing to promote fellow Black women in business and make sure that they understand that 
mental health, physical health, all of that's important too. So I think you're doing a great job forging your own legacy. And that I think is what people are going to remember most about you. Thank you. If you don't mind though, I mean, it sounds like most of these uh, memories are from stories that others have told you, but what were some of the things that your mother did that you feel led others in the community to reflect on her in such a positive way? Yeah. Um, so from what I've heard, she's done a lot of advocacy work, um, but she also, she mostly worked in the park boards. Um, so she worked at like King Park, Green Central, Potterhorn Park. Um, she was really focused in that area. We were all born and raised on 38th and 5th. Um, so that's where I'm from is like that area. So like Sabathony and all that. And she used to work in and out of there with a bunch of kids. A lot of people who did come up to me, they were talking to me about how they were one of her students or how she worked at the park that they went to. Um, and from my understanding, I've just heard that she was really intentional with every kid that she came across. Um, and she took her job seriously. Like it wasn't just her working at the park. Like she, she took that seriously. Um, and she was always just trying to steer kids in the right direction. And, um, get them to make the best decisions that they can make for themselves. And that's really, that's really what I heard. Um, and then also I went to Barton, Claire Barton Open School. A lot of people don't know about that school necessarily, but um, she actually worked there too as well. Um, and I think it was for a program that was similar to what's called the SPAN program that we had at Washburn. Um, but yeah, those were the kids that she worked with regularly and even I think I ran into one of them a few years back and they were talking about um, my mom and stuff and the impact that she had on their life too. So I don't know, it seems like my mom always gravitated towards people who had a lot of at-home challenges that made it hard for them to be able to focus and really be present in school. Um, so that's like where a lot of her work went. And then of course she played basketball. So she coached a lot of basketball teams and stuff. So she was always around youth, just always with youth and doing youth work. You mentioned losing her at the age of seven. So that's a lot to take in when you're still growing up and trying to make sense of the world. And how do you think that experience shaped you as far as the character you are, the kind of work you do, et cetera? How do you think that played a part in this story of yours? Yeah, um, I think early on, I think I've used this as a pro, but it's definitely a con. And it is something that I'm working through in therapy right now, but it kind of made me a little numb in terms of emotionally. Um, so I don't know if you remember this, but I was also kind of a hothead. In, uh, in high school as well, when it came to being on the court, like <laughs> when it came to playing basketball, um, I got teed up a few times throughout each season. But um, in terms of like emotions, I guess I kind of only showed things towards anger. And it really was my anger that did drive me to want to do better and want to be better as a person. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know, like just that, that feeling, that pain. Um, but because of that too, I ended up isolating myself a lot 
from other people and I didn't necessarily have the best relationships with anyone, um, whether it was coaches, teammates, or um, like even family members in my life. And because of that, like in times of isolation though, I spent it like studying or reading or like um, playing basketball majority of the time is when I would do that. I remember as a kid, like I would wake up in the morning and I would actually walk to Washburn from my house just so that I can go shoot in the gym or like train with Coach Coley in the mornings. And after that, like, if I couldn't get a ride, I would walk to Green Central from Washburn <laughs> and go play basketball there. Um, and then after that, walk to the Colin Powell Center because I played for Urban Stars. So we would go, you know, and train there. And I spent a lot of time like just in solitude and like just focusing on things that I really liked and I enjoyed. And to be honest, that's really what kept me out of trouble though, because there was a lot going on in my neighborhood and there was a lot of different avenues that I definitely could have went down. Um, but I really chose to just know, like, I got to stick to basketball for my mom and I got to make sure my grades are up and that I'm doing well, because, you know, that was also something else that was important to her as well. Um, but now when it comes to like my emotions and being able to build good and healthy relationships with people, I've realized now as an adult, like, even though um, isolating myself and stuff helped a lot when I was younger growing up. Now that I'm an adult, I'm having a lot more issues in terms of like relationships with people because of me isolating myself and just popping off and choosing to be angry instead of being okay. Like, yeah, you may feel angry, but why? And you can respond differently. <laughs> you don't have to show everyone that you're angry in your response, you know? Um, so yeah, again, that's something that definitely still working through so I know that that pain it hurt and it helped push me to where I'm at now but it comes a point in time where it's like it's not so helpful anymore um you got to make some changes to just better yourself as a person too so that you continue to grow well, Jasmine, I'd say if the worst that came out of it was picking up a few technicals in basketball I, I think you did quite well <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't remember that, but I covered a lot of Washburn games, admittedly, when Chase was there. And then after she left, I stopped covering them as frequently because not a knock on you, but you, playing alongside Chase. And you know this, uh, Jasmine, Chase was a tremendous athlete. And I thought, you know, could have gone further in basketball if she wanted to, but that's fine. She got to play pro and she's doing her own thing now. And as I always say, it doesn't matter how long you play. What matters is... Uh, what are you doing to make a difference? And there are many ways to do that, not just on the basketball court. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't mind me following up, you mentioned going through therapy, addressing some of these latent issues, this latent trauma, if I'm saying the right word, that you experienced from a young age. You mentioned isolating yourself and going all in with basketball. How do you think that played a part in things because I've had some guests on, we've talked about mental health and it's clear you were able to concentrate enough to get an opportunity to play college basketball, to make the most of it. But based on this conversation, it sounds like all that time isolating, bottling up, almost focusing exclusively on something else, maybe that resurfaced in a way you didn't expect when it came to processing all the emotions you were going through. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I didn't realize until I was an adult. Um, to be honest, I think it was like my junior year of college. That's when I really started to realize like, wow, my emotions are actually ruining a lot of relationships with people though. <laughs> because it's not, the problem wasn't necessarily what I was saying. It was like how I was saying things um, or how I would come out with them or even just how, what kind of friend I was to some people. I didn't, I realize now, like, truth is, I don't necessarily know how to be a good friend. Like, I do everything to the best way that I can to my abilities, but because when I was younger, I never really took the time to try and learn and build relationships with people around me and, like, healthy relationships with that. Um, being an adult now, it's like, I'm trying to do that, but I don't know what to do. Because even growing up, um, romantic relationship or not, I never really saw healthy relationships. Like, what does a healthy relationship look like? Um, my grandmother, she was a single mother um, and she raised many gen generations like before me, before uh, I ended up living with her. So it's like, I don't know. I never really even seen, you know, males in the household necessarily, unless they were like my older cousins. Um, and love them to death because they were basically like my father figures um, until I did have someone come into my life as my youth pastor when I was 13 years old, um, Chauncey Hollingsworth. He does Hoops in Christ. I'm pretty sure you've like heard of him. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely a father figure of mine. Um, and just being able, or even Mark Graves at the Boys and Girls Club, Southside Village Boys and Girls Club. So yeah, like in terms of just healthy relationships and figuring that out, I didn't necessarily know how to do that. And I realized as a kid, I also wasn't interested in it either though. Like I wasn't interested in like trying to find ways to be cool with people um, and actually build real raw like friendships and stuff like that. Cause there's even people I see now who still have their best friends from high school. And it's like, wow. I want that. <laughs> like, I know a lot of people from high school still, and I see them and I say, what's up? And like, we're cool, but we're not like tight. You know, we're not like super close friends. Um, so even now, like as an adult, trying to figure out how to have a healthy relationship with someone and like be cool with someone. So, I mean, yeah, that's where I was really running into issues with. And that's what pushed me towards actually getting into therapy and when I started therapy, I realized there were bigger issues than just um, than just like relationships with people. So, well, Jasmine, I am not a licensed uh, psychologist or therapist, but when you asked what can I do to be a good friend, and I would say I don't know if there is a specific blueprint for that. You just, I think, do the best you can. Yeah. As, and do what you can to genuinely be yourself and see where it goes. Mm -hmm. That's was my ticket because I struggle with friendships from an early age uh, for different reasons. Mm -hmm. And you, in my case, it kind of led me to wonder, okay, can I trust anyone? It sounds like with you, you, you that wasn't your interest. So it wasn't like you didn't, it's not like you hated everyone. You just were focused singularly on basketball grades. If you had maybe a different, strategy yeah 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 i didn't really to be honest i didn't really know what i was doing i was just trying to be different and do better um 
again, the neighborhood I grew up in necessarily, it wasn't the worst, but it also wasn't the best. Um, probably saw a lot that kids just should not see at all. And um, I just knew, like, as a kid, I knew, well, this isn't what I want. Like, this isn't what I want to do. That's not the road I want to go down. Um, and because I had people like Mark Graves at the Boys and Girls Club and Stephanie Siegel as well, and like Tara Brum, like all these people who um, saw me and decided like they wanted to invest in me and like help try to steer me down the right road because I didn't necessarily know what that was. Like, yeah, definitely shout out to them and thank them for that. Um, and I definitely, I couldn't do it all by myself, but I think they saw those things in me and they saw um, me isolating myself in some ways and stuff like that. And they wanted to give me a direction to go. Um, Cause I remember when I first started going to the Boys and Girls Club, I was only going up there because I wanted to use their gym. <laughs> I didn't really care about what they had to offer or what else they did. But um, I remember Mark Graves, one time he told us, he was like, uh, nobody goes in the gym until you go on the computer lab. You guys need to study or do some homework and stuff for at least 30 minutes before you can go in the gym. And I remember getting so mad. Cause I'm like, the only reason I came up here was to play basketball. <laughs> I did not come in here to study or do homework. And I think I remember I got mad that day and I went outside and I went um, to Green Central or something to go play basketball instead. But um, that didn't stop like Mark and Stephanie and them from continuing to reach out to me and um, get me to be involved in other things at the Boys and Girls Club. And that's what also helped spark some interest and drive for a lot of the work that I am doing now. So how are those therapy sessions going for you, Jazanae? And you can answer as frankly as you wish, but since you started doing therapy and discovering some of these characteristics about yourself that you hadn't really thought about before, how has that helped you grow you know, long after your athletic career is done? But you know, now from what I've seen, it's given you a perspective where you have no problem communicating to others, hey, you got to make sure that you're in one piece because if you're not, it's going to be really difficult. It, it, it's almost like your mission is to make sure that maybe one of your followers or friends doesn't go through what you did. Yeah, for sure. Um, growth is really uncomfortable, but it's like once you get there, and you have that, you just feel so much better. Like you feel free. Um, and I think a lot of people are like enslaved mentally. And I think that's something that we don't talk about a lot or talk about much. And um, I think you just get, there's so much more progress and stuff that comes with you healing. There's so much more you're able to do. Um, and so many like mental chains and stuff that you get to break through and you feel way better. Like the process, yeah, it's hard, it's uncomfortable. It's a lot of times frustrating, but it's like, once you get there, once you figure it out, um, that feeling of freedom, it's, it's amazing. And on the subject of growth, you certainly did a lot of that too in basketball and we may revisit mental health uh, as we move along in your story, but what do you recall from your days playing basketball? That was a sport you chose to focus on. 
and then finding your way to Washburn. So all of what going from those long walks to all these different gyms so you could play and then suiting up for the Washburn team. And you got to do it when Chase Coley was making a name for herself as the all around everything specialist with Washburn. What do you remember from your time as a high school athlete? Um, definitely a challenge. I think <laughs> me and coach Coley actually butt heads a lot, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I could I could see that not as a knock on either of you, but yeah. you were saying you're kind of a hothead and yeah. you're and Coach Coley. I call him Tyler, but I know like a lot of players, they still it's like two, no matter how old they get, they're always coached. But the two yeah. of you certainly have, I would say, alpha personalities for what you're telling me. And Tyler, of course, he's not submissive. And again, I mean that in the most positive way. Like yeah. I appreciate folks who aren't afraid to. Uh, assert themselves but i could see how that might lead to some headbutting yep yeah but continue of, i interrupted go ahead oh no you're okay like for sure a lot of headbutting um but there was a lot of growth in that and i think i just think it's sports in general help teach you like life lessons life tools um so just being playing basketball and being on a team especially like with chase coley and stuff like that um I don't know. There, there was a lot of growth and challenge that came with that, like in everything that we did. So. And how cool was it to play alongside some talented athletes? Chase Coley, yeah. of course, got all the headlines with everything she did. I think she still holds the career blocks record. Lucia Renikoff was the point guard who steered the ship. You got to make the state tournament a couple of times, reach the semifinals and almost won it on a couple occasions. So you went on this wild ride for a couple of years and maybe you weren't scoring a lot of points in that time, but you got a taste of what basketball can do. What do you remember from that? Yeah, yeah no, that was really fun. Um, I remember, so I actually met Lucia and um, you remember Emma, Kenda, like all of them, Celine. Well, actually, no. Celine, I met like in kindergarten, but that's a whole different story. But Lucia and them, like just playing with that team, I came in my eighth grade year um, and started playing with them. And that's when I met them. And it was actually Coach Jenkins, Giovanni Jenkins, who was our coach. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I just remember it being so much fun. Like I loved playing with them. Um, most What I loved most about Lucia playing was she was the point guard. <laughs> I hated running point and there were a lot of other that would try to have me run point but I'm naturally like a two or three like I'd rather um try to just go to the bucket I just want to go and score at the bucket so it was really nice having a great point guard like Lucia was such a great point guard um in terms of just how she saw the floor her passes um her IQ was definitely there and it was something that I looked up to like I wanted to be able to have an IQ like that um I wanted a coach to be able to trust me that much to be in that position, but also um, have my players or my teammates who I'm playing with, uh, have them be able to trust me in that way too. Uh, and there were definitely some things that Lucia did that I tried to carry on with me to college and like learn how to do that as well. Uh, just because a lot of times at Northwestern, I was playing the one instead of the two or the three. Um, yeah. And then even playing with Chase, like, 
being able to have a good post player, I think sometimes you don't realize how much you need a really good post player when it comes to basketball, <laughs> especially when you're a guard. Um, so yeah, now I definitely, I miss playing with them. Uh, I was just talking to somebody last week about how I miss like high school basketball. I genuinely do. Um, it was one of my, definitely one of my favorite teams to play with, so. I suppose it helps when you get to make a couple of state tournaments in the process. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but how cool was that? You got to play at Target Center. You got to play at Williams Arena. And again, even though you came up short in the semifinals in 2A, 3A, you got to get a taste of that atmosphere, the TV and all of that. And we talk a lot about all of these inner city talents that either go to private schools or they go to a place like Hopkins or a suburban school and it, how difficult it can be for inner city programs to generate the kind of support and talent you need to compete at a high level. But in the Chase Coley years, you got a, to play a part in that. And, and I keep saying Chase Coley, but it's a team sport. So it wasn't like she was the only one, but you got to play a part in putting inner city basketball on the map. Yeah. And it was a school that it was sort of in the afterglow of Taylor Hill at South. So that's what everyone was talking about. Well, here comes this Washburn team that had some yeah. pretty stellar talents too. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that experience was fun. It was crazy. I mean, even the support at school in the hallways, like people who never talked to you or never looked your way, you've never even seen walking up to you like, oh, good luck, good luck today with the game. We're gonna be there. And it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> um, and like people were talking about, oh, did you get your ticket? Cause Washburn, like they had provided buses to take fans out there to the games and stuff. And then it's crazy because now you're warming up on like the big floor, the under the big lights, you see the news stations and stuff setting up their cameras and everything too. And then all you see is all these students coming in and packing up the arena. Like, I don't know, it is a crazy feeling, like a crazy feeling, but it was great. Like I, I miss those state moments or even like the meals that we had before. Um, before going and like the conversations and stuff that were being had while we we're eating together, like on the bus on the way there, like, I don't know, it was crazy. <laughs> Definitely missed that. I think my favorite story to come out of those years when I covered Chase and the rest of the Washburn team, I forget who it was, but one of your friends emailed me because you, you see my broadcasts, I try to dress it up, make it look like an ESPN or a Fox show. So because everyone has these single camera streams now and I'm going, well, there's something to be said about making it feel like you're watching a game at home. And so at that point, I was familiar with Washburn. They uh, knew who I was. And one of your friends emailed me and asked for a copy of the headshots that I take for the starting line of graphics and their plan was to bring them to the game. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll send them. Uh, <laughs> and then I see those headshots like behind me at Williams Arena and I'm going, like, I forget, I think you were one of them actually. I remember Chase telling me how much she hated it. <laughs> seeing a giant <laughs> yeah. 
head of herself. And I think for anyone out on the floor, it's probably weird and awkward to see a fat head of yourself out there. I can't remember. I think you had one too, but I'm just going like, you talk about the support. I'm like, yeah, I, I know how much it meant to everyone. Yeah. And so it probably felt like weird and awkward and just uh, <laughs> uncomfortable to see this giant head that you have yeah. no idea what's going to happen afterward, but that illustrated the support. What do you remember? Eddie, do you yeah. remember what your thought was when you saw these giant fat heads? Because I think I think I had a photo of you or something and you, maybe yeah. not, but I know I had the starters for sure. Like, mm -hmm. I know for me, I'm like, what the? This yeah, is so I, weird. It's a, like, I remember seeing that. I'm just like, wow, like our fans are really going crazy right now. <laughs> this is so cool, like so cool. Did you have a fat head? I'm trying to remember if no, you had one. No, I think it was literally only the starting five. Okay, was this the starting five? Yeah. Okay. But I should so have gotten you. You know what? Maybe I saved you some awkwardness there. I was thinking of you all those years ago. It's yeah. like, if, if I make a fat head of Jasmine, she's going to isolate further and will never talk to me again. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, it was really cool. Like, seeing them do that or even there were um people who painted their bodies like orange and blue I don't know if you remember seeing that but that was crazy or like I don't know friends I went to the state games this past year and it was nothing like how it was when we were in high school like and do I guess it's because of COVID and stuff but I don't know just even at the state games remembering people hanging over the railings and like beating on them and it's just loud the whole time. Like, it's just super loud. We got the fans, like, when the other team is shooting, they're just, like, <laughs> trying to throw them off. Like, none of that happened this year. Like, none of that happened at this last state tournament and stuff. And it's just like, wow, like, you guys are missing out. You're not even getting the whole state experience. Like, yeah. Now, I remember seeing, like, all the blow-up heads, all the signs, like, people painting their bodies. Like, it was, it was crazy. It was such a great time. Going to state was probably one of the best experiences that I've had in terms of like basketball. Well, Jasmine, you were right. The pandemic forced a lot of changes to this year's state tournament. So uh, attendance was limited. So they couldn't bring the pomp and circumstance that traditionally comes with state tournaments. I know in the spring that wasn't an issue. And I'm hoping it won't be an issue this upcoming season. But we'll have to see what happens. The following couple of years, you don't go to state, but I did go back, look up your stats. And even if you didn't have the success that you had when you started with Washburn, your senior year, you got to lead the team in scoring. So you were able to grow and evolve as an athlete. And that did lead you to a college opportunity. So after Chase left, after that group left, and you had to take over the leadership mantle, what was that transition like and how do you think that helped you? Um, I definitely had to step up, <laughs> but it was it was so weird because it's like I was the I think I was the only eighth grader who came in um, their freshman year, Lucia Renikoff and, you know, all of them like their freshman year. Um, so it was weird because those were the people that I bonded with. Those are the ones that I learned how to play basketball with all those years. And then they all just left me <laughs> and it's just me. And I mean, we had Cheyenne Wesley and then we also had Elena as well. So I, I got to build chemistry with those three, but it was really only those three. 
and all the players that came in, you know, my senior year, like they were all just so young. So none of them had that state experience. Uh, some of them really didn't even have like AAU basketball experience. A lot of them uh, were just, you know, trying to play in high school and stuff. So it was just, it was so different. Like a lot of the talent really wasn't there necessarily. Um, like we had before. I wouldn't say that the work ethic wasn't like, I think the ladies played really hard and they tried to the best of their abilities and like did what they could. But like, it was so hard senior year playing. It really was, it was really hard um, and really frustrating at times too. But um, it definitely built on my character in terms of like leadership and what that looks like and how when it comes to you being a leader for something that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have all the talent and stuff too. You just have to learn how to work with what you have and um, just learn how to be a good teammate and support them and like be there for them. And I think my senior year really grew on me in that aspect and like seeing when people really are trying their best and how you just have to meet them where they're at and you have to support them. Um, and it doesn't do any good or any help to bash them for where they're at. Like, that does, that's not going to do anything. That's not going to solve anything. So, yeah. It sounds like by the time you got to your senior year, those hot-headed tendencies were simmering down a bit then. Yeah. Like, like you were coming at players for not being at your skill levels, what I'm saying. Like you're not yeah. butting heads. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I meant. Uh, so, how many offers did you get to play at the collegiate level? I know you played for a season at Northwestern, but as you were getting closer to wrapping up your own high school career, how many offers did you get and what led you to suit up for the University of Northwestern? Yeah, um, I had like a few JUCO ones, I remember. Um, and then the one other school I could think of like that just wasn't a JUCO was Augsburg other than like Northwestern, but it was mostly like JUCO teams that were scouting and like asking me to come. Um, I ended up choosing Northwestern though, because I got what's called the Axic scholarship. Um, it's a full need leadership scholarship. Um, really the application progress is pretty rigorous, <laughs> but I ended up, um, being awarded that scholarship and getting accepted to Northwestern and the college coaches there happened to be scouting me. So it, it helped. So I ended up going there. Scholarships can do that. And that's an amazing accomplishment in its own right to get a scholarship because I know D3 doesn't offer athletic scholarships. So to pick up one that I imagine covered just about did it cover all of your schooling or how did that scholarship work out? It covered everything. I mean, I basically got paid to go to school. I got, um, I had refund checks every semester. I never really came out of pocket to pay for anything. Like they paid for my meal plan, my housing. Um, I guess the only thing I had to pay for was books, but I was Minnesota State Youth of the Year, um, my junior year of high school. So I was awarded scholarship money from that too. So, um, the scholarship money from the Boys and Girls Club paid for my laptop and majority of my textbooks and everything. Um, so I really didn't have to worry about finances too much in college, thank God. And like, I got to graduate with no student loan debt or anything. And now because of that, I can focus on, you know, picking the right law school and 
not having to think too much about debt, but it's definitely something that I still have to be aware of. Um, but it's just going to be a different avenue that I'm going to have to research through and look through because a lot of my other classmates and stuff, like they didn't get that same opportunity. And a lot of them are still having to pay off debt right now or figure out what to do. So definitely really, really grateful and like thankful for that. You said you won Minnesota State Youth of the Year. Mm -hmm. Jasmine, why didn't you tell me how awesome you were? <laughs> what, the, these awards, these scholarships, I'm going, I'm shaking my head because <laughs> it's like, what? I didn't hear about this. Yeah. <laughs> I would have loved, I would have been happy to say something, whether I was calling a game or even just a conversation. I'm going, that, that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. I'm Thank happy you. to hear about that. So Minnesota State Youth of the Year, who, I guess, who runs that award? How did you end up with that? I mean, you probably have a, in your apartment or house, wherever you are, I'm guessing you've got a full like trophy room with everything. <laughs> yeah, so, um, Minnesota State Youth of the Year is put on by the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, there's a lot of sponsors like Buffalo Wild Wings, Toyota. Fox Sports is actually um, a sponsor of that program as well. Um, and you get it from being like on the star wall at the Boys and Girls Club. So basically a teen who's showing leadership throughout the Boys and Girls Club, they'll ask you um, if you want to be a nominee and you have to win at your Boys and Girls Club. And then, so basically like the process of it, sorry, you have to complete an application and then you end up writing a couple papers and then ultimately you write a speech for it. Um, and there are actual judges and the judges are normally like board members or sponsors um, of the Boys and Girls Club. So you have to win at your Boys and Girls Club first. Um, I won at Southside Village. And then after that, you go to Twin Cities. Um, and I won at Twin Cities. And that's when you go against like all the boys and girls clubs in the Twin Cities. So like Jerry Gamble's um, and other ones in St. Paul too. I'm not like as familiar with those ones. Um, and then after that, you go to state and that's when you go against boys and girls clubs that are in like Rochester and stuff like that. Um, and then after that is Midwest Regionals. So I got the opportunity to be able to go to Midwest Regionals and like hear all the stories from other people who won at their boys and girls clubs in their states. And that, like, that was really cool. Um, and then you get to meet some of the judges that uh, are on like a higher level of the board for the Boys and Girls Club of America. So you really, it's a great networking thing too, because I ended up, um, because I won Minnesota State Youth of the Year, I got invited to go down to Atlanta, Georgia, and we were at Emory College or Emory University, and we had like a leadership program or like camp down there too that we stayed at for a week, and we got to meet like a lot of people, and we took some classes and stuff on like leadership development, what that looks like um, for being a leader in your community. And they also helped us with some resources in terms of college and like what that looks like. So it's really dope. Um, but after you win regionals, then you can go to nationals. Um, unfortunately, like I didn't win and go to nationals, but nationals is super dope because not only do you get like a really, really large check to go to college, you also get a free Toyota. 
So I was really sad about that because that that's really what I wanted to. Aside from the scholarship money, I definitely wanted the free ride. So came up a little bit short on the Toyota, but uh, you got a nice payday out of it. It sounds like. Oh, for sure. For for scholarships, that is. So. Mm -hmm. that hey that is incredible and even if you didn't get past regionals no one else can claim they were youth of the year that's the title that belonged to you out of all the boys and girls clubs so it, i guess it made all of those trips worth it even when yeah. you were hesitant to uh, take up that computer time right <laughs> yeah oh. no it was such a experience because of youth of the year that was my first time ever like flying on a plane or anything I got to experience a lot that year. That year is pretty fun. <laughs> and I'm only just hearing about this now, Jazz and Amy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to get yourself out there more. I'm kidding. But no, that <laughs> that is wonderful. And I'm happy you got such an esteemed distinction. And I guess it doesn't surprise me with what you're doing now that you would find yourself making it all the way to regionals and winning the state award. So with that and the other scholarships, it's like, what haven't you won at this point? Um, <laughs> as I understand it, you played for a season at Northwestern before you transitioned into other aspects of your life. So what do you remember from your time as a college athlete? And when did you start to consider changing course, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, so playing collegiate basketball, it was actually a really fun opportunity. Like, um, I looked forward to playing college basketball and I enjoyed it. Like, it was fun playing. Um, it's definitely, it's a lot different than high school basketball. They would tell us, like, the only difference is there's a shot clock. Mm, there's a lot more, like, in terms of differences and stuff. Like, even the gear you get, the locker rooms, like, the the women that you meet like from different walks of life and everything like you definitely it's very different and then what made mine even more different is I went to a private Christian university so like there was a lot of other aspects to basketball that were implemented that like I didn't necessarily experience before like we had devotions and stuff before our basketball game so we would come together um, everybody was in charge of at some point in time, like giving, like basically like a mini Bible study, essentially um, being in charge of, you know, picking the verse and talking about it and stuff with the group. Um, even before practices and stuff, there was a lot of prayer all the time. We prayed with teams like after the game and stuff and teams would always be so weirded out, like, wait, so we don't just shake hands with y'all and get off the court. Like <laughs> we would all go to the middle of the court and pray and stuff together. So I think my experience um, for college basketball was just, was pretty different than a lot of people's. Um, but I think overall it was a good experience. I guess in all honesty, like my biggest challenge was I was the only person of color on the team. I was the only black girl on the team. And um, I ran into a lot of issues with that, like culturally speaking um or even questions that I would get in the locker room that I have never received before from anyone um so like I don't know I guess it got to be where that was a little bit too much for me because like basketball for me 
especially after my mom passed, like that was my freedom. That was kind of my scapegoat. That was my like get away from reality and what was actually happening in my life. And um, going to Northwestern, like I ran into a lot of issues, um, like a lot of different racist encounters with people and stuff, like just stuff I didn't really deal with as much in the inner city that was so like in your face. Um, and I kind of already had to deal with that in classes and in the dorm rooms and like dealing with them day to day. So then to be able to go to basketball where like that's supposed to be my freedom, that's supposed to be where I get away from all this real world stuff. And it's still just being kind of put in my face, especially since I am the only, you know, black player on the team, it got to be a little too much. And it got to a point where like basketball with them just wasn't really fun. Um, so yeah, it, it got kind of hard in that sense. So I started, I kind of stepped back from Northwestern in general. I wasn't on campus as much anymore. I actually started to hang out at Augsburg and at the U of M with other um, black students and stuff there. And that's when um, I actually took on a position with Capital Pathways. And I worked as a legislative intern at the Capitol instead of like playing basketball my junior year. And then um, senior year, I decided to, you know, just step back and not go towards it at all. And that's when I started um, as a, well, I started working with Young Life and being a mentor there and um, just focusing on work and my studies and like kind of just getting out of Northwestern. Like I really just wanted to leave. So yeah, it wasn't necessarily the best pleasant experience, but um, college basketball overall, like it did show me that like, I do love playing at that level and playing at that level was fun. And it was something that I genuinely did want to continue, but also didn't want to transfer because I was a triple major at Northwestern. And like, if I was to transfer, I'd probably end up dropping a major too, so I could still graduate on time. Cause I wouldn't want to stay. And then also um, my scholarship as well. So it's like, well then now I got to find another way to pay if I want to leave too. So yeah. Triple major, Minnesota State Youth of the Year, Jazz and I'm going, I feel such an under, yeah. like, I feel like I've been underachieving this whole time now. No, not at all. Don't come up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks for me making me feel inferior, Jazz and I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm going up against a triple major and against this Youth of the Year. And they like, what do I have? Well, I got State Journalist of the Year. That, that's my best. <laughs> <laughs> we're teasing I, I, in case you haven't picked up by now i'm teasing folks don't worry about it i yeah. there's no bad blood between the two of us at all it's it's just uh i'm like I, I i the more i learn about you the more impressed i am the more amazed i am that you really have these high goals these these uh hurdles i wouldn't say hurdles but you have a strong opinion of yourself and you're not afraid to uh take it on and see if you can go higher. So I truly appreciate what you're doing. If you don't mind, you mentioned the difference, culturally speaking, going from Washburn, a lot of students of color there. And you said being the only black woman on the basketball team, and in many cases, the only black woman in classrooms and dorms and getting <laughs> questions you weren't used to, just what was some of that? I'm not looking to reopen old wounds, but just to help illustrate what someone like you might be going through, especially with mental health being at the forefront of so many discussions, whether it was the Olympics or Naomi Osaka in tennis, you know, this is something that 
I think athletes past and present are taking more seriously. So what were some of those microaggressions that maybe rubbed, rubbed the wrong way, you know, rub, yeah. didn't rub off on you, if you know what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Northwestern in and of itself was like a huge culture shock, <laughs> like a huge culture shock. Um, yeah. I used to get, I don't know, a lot of questions about my hair. I think that's the one that I hate the most. A lot of black women deal with that like on the regular basis, but um, yeah, a lot, a lot of questions about my hair, like wanted to know why I don't shower and wash my hair every day like they do, or like um, questions about why are you always putting like so much lotion on your body every time you get out the shower. Um, like basically why am I not voting for Trump or why am I not like it's just a lot of like stuff that I don't know I've just never been asked before it was so weird like it was just so weird or even um some of the food and stuff that we eat um I remember there was a girl like she she meant well she really did mean well she did mean well and uh, I had tore my meniscus and had to get knee surgery again my sophomore year of college and like, she really, she was just trying to be helpful and she wanted to make me feel at home. So like, she kind of called herself like making me like a traditional meal from, you know, what I'm used to eating, like growing up and stuff. And yeah, I'm gonna be honest, it kind of was a little bit of a fail. Like it really wasn't, no. <laughs> um, one of the other girls on the basketball team, like she was sitting there and she was like, I don't think it's supposed to look like that. And of course, like I didn't say that cause I wasn't gonna say that like, I see you were, you were genuinely, there was well-intentioned, like you were trying to, you know, be nice and like do something nice for me. And I appreciate that. Like you did what you felt like was the best thing that you could do, you know? Um, so of course I appreciate that 110%. Like I don't feel any type of way about it, but it was just, it's this, the awkwardness of a lot of those moments where you're just like, okay, you're kind of just trying too hard. You could have just made me something that, you know, your mom traditionally used to make at home for you. Something that you know how to make. You know what I mean? Like there was just, <laughs> it was well-intentioned things, but um, a lot of the times ended up butting heads with stuff. I remember I got into a little altercation with uh, one of my teammates' boyfriends on like Facebook or Instagram because they said something that was really racist and I called them out on it. And like, even the awkward conversation I then had to have with my teammate because I have to play with her all season. And of course, like she knows because that's her boyfriend, you know? Um, so I ended up having a lot of conversations that I never thought that I'd have to have, whether they were like in the classrooms or like whatever it was. Um, I remember I was talking about taking a knee um, during the national anthem for, you know, uh for the basketball stuff and I brought it to my coach because like out of respect for him I wanted to let him know like I did plan on doing something like that um and I didn't want my coach to be caught off guard about it and like instantly like one of the first thing he says is like um no I think that takes the attention off of the team and just puts it all on you and it's just like some of the responses and stuff that I got for things it's like see I I can tell like that's just ignorance like you really just don't understand or don't know like the fact that you think it's about putting it on me, the whole movement or even just taking me during the national anthem, that has nothing to do with me actually. Like me doing that, it, it's not about me or wanting attention to be on me. Like, I mean, the action in itself, I guess, yeah. But like, 
it's not about me. <laughs> it's about something that's bigger than me. Um, so yeah, I ran into a lot of like awkward conversations or like just, yeah. And it, it got to be to the point where it was just kind of too much. Cause it's like, I'm here to play basketball and get my education. And um, I think for a lot of student athletes, like black student athletes, like we don't get the privilege of just going to school and just being a student or just being an athlete. Like there's so many other things that we ended up running into. And um, there's black players who choose to address the situations and actually speak up and say something. And then there's other ones who decide, no, look, I'm really just here for school and I'm really just here for, you know, playing sports and that's what I want to do and that's what I want to focus on. So they choose to ignore it and like not speak up or anything. And like, I did have some issues with a couple other black athletes who were like that. And like, we ended up butting heads on stuff like that too, because they're just so focused on like, no, this is why I'm here though. Like, I'm not here to start a revolution. I'm not here to do that. And rightfully so. Like, I understand that. Like, I didn't come here to do that either, but it's like, that's what's happening. And if we don't speak up, then who will? There's only so many of us. And it's like, this is gonna continue to keep happening if we don't say something or if we don't do something. And it's like, how you feel right now, that's not right, that's not fair. Like you said, you came here to play basketball. You came here to get your education. You should be able to do that. You should be able to do just that if that's what you want. Um, and a lot of times for black students, that's not our reality. Like there's so many other things that we have to fight against in order to be a student athlete. Like it's it's never just that sweet. Like we don't get to just be a student athlete. What would you make of that experience? How tricky was it to navigate all of that? And, and, I asked Jasmine, I, I truly sincerely asked because I know that's something I never have to worry about unless I were to run up and punch you in the face, which I'm not going to do because that's yeah. not my style. I, I don't, you know, that, that gets you in trouble. But right. you know, you're trying to make sense of everything. As we mm -hmm. talked about earlier, you're still dealing with some of the after effects of your mental health situation. And now you go to a campus where it's in the Twin Cities area, but it looks nothing like the school you went to in Washburn. You're having to deal with all of this. How hard was it to navigate that environment? I mean, you made the most of it, of course, getting your degree at, at the University of Northwestern, but I can't imagine it was easy to have to confront all of these things that you weren't accustomed to and try to make sure you didn't lose your cool if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was definitely, it was a challenge. Um, I would say that I believe that God really did put me there on purpose. Um, just because in the College Career Center at Washburn, like my sophomore year when we were in there with Miss Danielle and stuff, and they were um, asking us like, what are some things that you don't want out of a university so you know what you like do want? And I said that I didn't want to go to a PWI, like a predominantly white institution. I didn't want to go to a private institution and I didn't want to go to like a religious affiliated one. And God literally put me in all three. <laughs> like I went to a private, basically all white university um, that was also like a Christian university. So like I really got hit with all, all three of them. Um, 
and oh, Northwestern, it was just, it was such an interesting time. I think I really did have a hard time, but just because I'm so like, I'm so determined and focused and like, there's a lot of things that I had already been through prior to going to Northwestern. It was like, I could put up with a few racist people. Like I, I can do it, I can do it, you know, I can get through this, you know. This professor may be really racist and he's pushing like bad ideologies on all his students right now. And I have to continue to speak up and challenge him or other students in the classroom, like whatever, I can do it, I can do it. And I guess to be honest though, another thing I was thinking of is like, and I had to keep telling myself and repeating this to myself, but I kept saying like, think about how much work um, even your grandparents and then like further down the line like ancestors went through to get you to the point where you can even sit in this PWI like at one point they wouldn't even let them go to universities and you're in one and not only are you at a university you're at a university for free you're not paying anything like I don't know in a sense I kind of I owe it to them like I, I need to graduate. I need to get through this. I need to find a way to power through and push through and, and don't sit down while doing it though. Like stand up for yourself, speak up, speak out. Like, yeah, it's hard. You're the only person in this class. You're literally the only person of color in this class. And they're saying all these things that you know is wrong, but speak up, say something. Like you have to, try and make things better for the ones who are coming after you. Everything that you're dealing with, you would never want any other student of color who stepped on this campus to deal with that. You know what it feels like, and it's not right. Still say something. And yeah, like that's really what it came down to. I'm just like, look at my people, they worked so hard for me to be able to, be able to sit in this position. Like I, I owe it to them for sure to speak up and say something. And not only that, also graduate on time and get out of there so yeah I think Northwestern did teach me a lot most importantly though they taught me a lot about myself and like who I am as a person and how much I am willing to put up with and like go through to reach my goals and I think it's definitely it definitely was a test and um, accepted the challenge and just got through it but I do it again I don't know but <laughs> we'll wait until we get to that point to see like what the ending goal is and if it's worse going through something like that again but yeah and it's unfortunate you had to experience that it's not fun i think for anyone to be reminded that they might be different whatever you make of that but i go back to what you're saying on how you had these ideas of what you didn't want to what you didn't want in a college and then you end up with everything that was <laughs> on your yeah. list of don'ts. And I just thought of the line, we plan, God laughs. Yes. You probably Literally. know that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's what happened. You, you made a plan and God laughed at it. <laughs> yeah, I remember there was actually a girl, Rachel. Um, so I was a freshman when she was a senior at Northwestern and we were driving on our way to Cold Stone cause that's where like the whole basketball team was meeting. And she said one thing that stuck with me is definitely along the lines of what she just said, but she was saying like, God has such a funny sense of humor. Like- I've heard that one too. Such a funny sense of humor. And ever since she said that, every time I ran into anything at Northwestern, I would always think that she said that. And it truthfully, it'll help me get through it. Cause I'm just like, yeah, 
yeah, he does. I got to do this. He has a plan. Clearly there's something that I can't see or I'm not ready to see. And I have to go through this in order to get to that. And it's like, all right, God, I accept the challenge. That, that was funny, but that. <laughs> and I refer to that line, well, the pandemic was a reminder of that. And mm -hmm. when people have asked me, what's your five and 10 year plan? I'm, and I've always thought it was a bit precocious to think that far ahead because as we've learned in the last year or so, we don't know what the next five minutes will bring. So I just try to try to, I just try not to do anything stupid, but if I end up doing it, then I just do it twice. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, so I just go along for the ride and I'm the same way when I'm calling games, broadcasting them. I'm not there to worry about who wins or loses. I just am there to share stories, but it's a bummer you had to go through that, but from what you're telling me, if that hadn't happened, it maybe doesn't prepare you for some of the things you're doing now, or maybe it, maybe it, it isn't that spark. What what you're doing with the Black Women's Wealth Alliance, for example, and making sure your efforts contribute to improve dialogue. So, like you said, maybe the next Jasmine Patterson doesn't have to go through the microaggressions you did, whether it comes to hair or uh, skincare, etc. I'm not an expert in any of those things, but when you talk about some of the things you have to be mindful of that maybe others don't, I understand the reasoning behind it. Yeah. How hard was it to step away from the sport of basketball? You mentioned kind of being focused more on other avenues and maybe distancing yourself a little bit from Northwestern. You got your degree from there, of course, but how hard was it to hang up the shoes and say goodbye to a sport that got you places that, as you had said, was your lifeline, your, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, yeah, it was your lifeline from any of the stresses you dealt with in your neighborhood, family, all of that. I ask this because I know it's never easy for any athlete to make that transition. What was that like for you? Yeah, um, it was really hard. Like, believe it or not, I cried a lot. Like, I'm tearing up a little bit thinking about it. But like, yeah, that time, that was really hard for me. Like, I'm so sorry. Um, um, if you need a minute, Jasmine, take your time. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, stepping away from basketball was really, really hard for me. Um, uh, it was definitely something that I wanted to be able to stick with, but just in terms of the stuff that I already had to deal with in the university and at the university, and then to go into basketball practice, and it's like, I may not have to deal with a lot of the stuff that I dealt with in class here. It's still little microaggressions that are triggering what I felt in class that day. <laughs> so it's like, um, yeah, it just, it got to be too much. It got to be really, really hard. And um, it was just something I was like, yeah, I really, I can't, I can't stick with this. Like, this is starting to make basketball not fun for me. And it's never not, fun for me like 
basketball has always been everything for me. Um, whenever I got mad or upset, I would literally pick up a basketball and go down to the park. Like whether the gym was open or not, I would play on the outside court if I had to. Like basketball has always been the thing I run to. Like even today, um, the building I live in, it's down the street, like from a park as well. And like, um, like I said, or like you may have seen on Instagram, like I had a really like rough transitioning year um, this past year and like a little bit of this year as well. And even in those moments and times, like I would just go to the court and shoot or like I'll just go to LA Fitness and go shoot. Like basketball has always been the thing that I could run to. So it's like when I'm leaving these classes or these meetings where we had these hard conversations or where, you know, I really got to hear what some white people think of me and my people, like just that kind of stuff. And then going into basketball practice and I'm getting all these random microaggressions. It's like, well, this ain't fun either. Like, I don't want to be here either. And it's like, basketball has always been the thing that I run to though. Like basketball has always been the thing that's been there. And it's like, I can't even play that competitively because like, no offense to them, like kind of ruining it for me. Like, <laughs> it's not, it's not as fun. And I know like a lot of your stuff is well-intentioned, but it's the impact that you need to look at because that's what's hurting. Like, no matter how well-intentioned that question was, like it, the impact that wasn't, that wasn't a good question. Like, why do you feel the need to ask that or get to ask that? Like, or even just get to say what you just said. Um, so I just, yeah, that was really hard. It was really hard stepping away from like playing collegiate basketball. I wanted to stay. I remember even senior year, I was thinking like, dang, am I gonna go try out even though I quit in the middle of last season? Like I miss collegiate basketball. I really wanna play. And then instantly I got to thinking about like, but you weren't happy though. Like you weren't happy playing basketball with them. So why would you go back to that? Like, you're just gonna put yourself through the same thing. Like doing something more than once thinking you're gonna get a different result. Like that's insanity. It's not, it's not gonna happen. Like, so um, instead I decided to focus on other things and actually get back into my community because when I was at Northwestern, Northwestern is kind of just this gigantic bubble um and like when you're at Northwestern more than likely you're just there all the time which I really was I was there all the time like I worked on campus and everything so like I never really left campus like that unless I was going to my grandma's house to go check in um but even then like there was a lot of trauma and stuff that took place there so I wasn't necessarily trying to go home either so it's like trying to find um some type of like peace and clarity and I got that in basketball and now I'm stepping away from that and like not doing that anymore it definitely it was really hard so I was just trying to find other ways to channel my passion and um, I really liked working with youth and stuff so that's why I started working for Young Life um, and doing the mentor program um, with them that I got like introduced to by one of my friends Charles and then um, I started working for the mayor's office in St. Paul. And I started doing that work and, you know, I like doing that and like being in that office type environment and stuff. And um, yeah, just decided to start focusing on like my studies and what I'm gonna go into and do after I graduate from college. Um, I definitely still do wanna play basketball seriously though. 
Like, believe it or not, after all that, like, I still want to play basketball seriously. Um, I still do want to do that. But I also understand that that might not necessarily happen. So, like, it's okay. It's okay. Like, I have found other passions and things that I do love um, and that I've been able to channel and, like, put in my time. And there have been open gyms and stuff that I've been going to and getting to feel that adrenaline pumping again like of course it's not the same because you know it's just an open gym but like just still getting to play and then um even getting to play with some people that I play with at high in high school like Cheyenne Wesley she goes to these same open gyms um I Dallas Riley um she still goes to these open gyms so I get to play with some of my old teammates um my little cousin, Alani Pettis, um, you remember her playing at North? Like she comes to those open gyms. There's some Hopkins girls who come to the open gym. Uh, Kanisha Bell was at one of them. And, and that's what I mean. So it's kind of, you get that high school feeling a little bit because you get like all those players again, coming back to play. And it's like, it's fun, but of course it's not the same. Like I miss the competitive sports. I miss um, practicing every day, like all that stuff. Definitely want that back. But. Yeah, it was it was really hard stepping away. Uh, definitely a lot of crying. That's what I did majority of my time. But I also isolated myself even more since um, I wasn't able to play basketball. So um, I guess that's where you could say my mental health also started to plummet a little more. So on that subject, and we should add, you did get your degree from Northwestern. So let's let's not not forget to accentuate the positive too that you were able you're right you 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 got the scholarship you got the degree out of it so you earned what you had came there, there to for. do right you got what you came there for that degree but if you don't mind we've touched on this a little bit but what would you make of your mental health journey in the context of what you're experiencing what you may have heard in the news nationally and locally with athletes who are starting to understand that they don't have to be invincible anymore. I think we had that notion for a long time that athletes could take on anything. And hey, when you're out there and basketball is fun, I think there is that sense of invulnerability, like you can take on the world and nothing can drag you down. But you had a lot of events and I can see having to transition away from basketball still affects you. Definitely. What was your low point, if you don't mind me asking, if you don't mind sharing that, and what helped you navigate your mental health obstacles to the point where now you are an advocate for others who might be struggling too? Yeah, um, just wanting to be better like that yearn for wanting growth, um, wanting to see that through. And I knew like Northwestern was temporary. I only had to be there for four years. Um, so understanding that, uh, you know, you're only here for four years, like you can get through it. I'm gonna be honest, I probably didn't take care of my mental health the best at all at Northwestern. Um, it was more so like, ignore it, you're good. You just gotta get through it you're here for school. Like at this point now, like you're not an athlete anymore. You're just here for school. Like you just, you gotta get through it. You gotta get through it. You just gotta finish your studies. You gotta, um, 
and we can figure out stuff later like we can figure out stuff after and that's really the point that I got to was like like you just got to get through and you got to get out of there and a lot of that was trying to find the pros in being there and I'm gonna be honest that was so hard for me to do (laughs) that was so hard for me to do is find the pros and I realized like at the end of the day like I don't think that I'm able to just accept money for something if it's gonna cost my mental health and like me actually liking the place. Um, I realized like going in, it just seems so sweet. It's like, I didn't know how I was gonna pay to, for college or even if I was gonna go. I wasn't getting any offers like scholarship wise um, to go anywhere for basketball. So it's like, realistically, I have to think about what I'm gonna do in order to go to college now. and you know, when I ended up getting that full ride scholarship and um, getting accepted into Northwestern, I'm just like, you know what, I got to go, like, I got to take that. Um, And I truly, I went in with a good mindset. I went in with like, yeah, this is going to be good. It's going to be a good time, like a new chapter in my life, like college. (laughs) I've only heard so many amazing stories about college, like, I want to go. And um, I quickly realized that, like, um, the image that I was getting at college was more so for like public universities, like, you know, the U of M or St. Cloud or like, and it's not that those kids, cause a lot of those kids that I hung out with though, like they were dealing with a lot of the same stuff I was in classrooms. The only difference is they had more students to code. So like they already had things established at their universities. Like they already had um, like different clubs and stuff that were already there. Like Northwestern didn't have any of that. I remember like I started the Black Student Union (laughs) at Northwestern my sophomore year of college. Um, And they only gave us a budget of like $250 for a semester to do stuff. (laughs) So it's like, but then you go to the University of Minnesota and their Black Student Unions have like a whole board and everything that's already set up in place, like funding, um, ways to get more funding, like all this stuff so that they can throw big events and like have all these talks and actually have snacks and food at all of them for the students when they're coming after class, you know? And um, I don't know, yeah, that's why I would say like the support at Northwestern wasn't there necessarily. And that's just what made it a lot harder. But because of that, it did kind of make it easier for me to be able to step away and go participate in other Black student unions and stuff elsewhere, like at other universities, because they already have had them established and set up and like they have full boards and funding and all the stuff that lacked or wasn't at Northwestern. So I definitely found support like outside of Northwestern um, to try to help cope with my mental health stuff, but I still can't say that I was necessarily taking care of it. And that's okay if you're still working toward uh, the healing process, if that's the best way of putting it. It's something you are adamant about on your social media feeds with your Instagram reels and Facebook stories, etc. Even though you're still working through it, I guess, when did you feel comfortable enough to share it? Because as you said, you've gone through a lot of mental health struggles. I'm not sure how high or how low it went, but 
it was enough that you started to notice that something isn't right and you like everything else uh when it comes to scholarships and all the advocacy work you do you're putting in a lot of energy and investment into giving others that space now so yeah. What helped you get to that point? And I guess, how much progress have you made from whatever your lowest point was? Um, well, yeah, for sure. I've definitely made a lot, a lot of progress. Um, the same headspace that I was in a year ago, I'm definitely not in now. I'm very grateful for that. Therapy has like contributed a lot to that. Um, and also just having like, even my boyfriend, he's really, really supportive with that he's actually the one who was like look at you talk about you need therapy you need to heal but like you haven't you haven't gone <laughs> you should go like you should really start you should really figure that out so um definitely kudos to him because like that support in going to therapy and starting therapy like it was definitely the push that I needed because I knew it was something that I needed and I had tried it before um one of them, it, it just didn't fit. It just didn't match. The other one was just too overbooked and wasn't able to really fit me in for stuff. And another therapist that I had tried, my insurance ended, so I couldn't afford it or pay for it to go. You know, like stuff just kept happening. So um, I kind of got to a point where I was like, whatever, I just need to figure this out. Like, I know I need therapy. I need. I know I need to see a therapist, but like, I'm just not, I just haven't done that. So my boyfriend definitely helped like contribute to pushing me to get in there and actually do that. Um, but yeah, in terms of like helping other people with it, there were a lot of black women who would actually like DM me on Instagram and stuff. And um, they would tell me like, hey, um, I love what you posted because I would post like some mental health stuff like once in a while or like share my opinion about that like once in a while um and then I remember I started doing like gym check-ins with my friends and stuff um like two years ago maybe that's when I first started doing them and black women would inbox me and they would talk about how like well this stuff is really dope like I'm trying to get into the gym or um, I'm trying to do better with my mental health. And I just realized that there are a lot of other Black women who are feeling similar to me as well. And it's like, they just need that motivation, um, that kick, that push. So then I just started like creating reels and stuff and trying to be more um, consistent with posting because I realized there were a lot of Black women like who really just needed the motivate the motivation and like they just needed the push and if I can do that simply by just posting and you seeing that like when you wake up in the morning or when you just happen to be scrolling through your news you know during break or whatever and it pushes you to want to think about dang like maybe I should go to therapy or maybe I should find you know a better healthier outlet um, maybe I should start working out maybe I should start eating better like um, the impact of that itself is like yeah I want to be able to do that for other black women like because there were people who uh, did stand by me and push me to start doing that as well and um I don't know it's just it's really it's really important to me and I think um my grandma definitely sparked that for me though because knowing her like my grandma's a really really active person she would walk everywhere she would walk to work sometimes too like from 38th all the way to uptown. That's where she worked at. <laughs> like she would walk there all the time. I remember um, the meals that she made for us always had vegetables in them and vegetables would always be like 
dang near the main course of the meal, like not even really the meat. Like my grandma was huge with eating right, eating healthy and being active. So I definitely believe that she planted that seed. Um, and, you know, becoming an adult since she did raise me, I think as an adult, like a young adult, you start to realize you do a lot of things that your parents or guardians, you know, raised you as, as a kid. And you don't really see how much of an effect it has on you until you're an adult. Um, and in that, I also realized that even in people's houses who I would go over to as a kid, a lot of times their kitchens look nothing like mine. My grandma went to the farmer's market all the time. There were always fruits and vegetables all around the kitchen. I go to my other friends' houses and it's ramen noodles, chips, candy everywhere. Like, I mean, like stocks of it though, like all the most unhealthy cereals possible. Um, even like how their parents and stuff were, you know, preparing meals and stuff. And um, I started to realize like, wow, my grandma didn't really have any of that in the house. Like she would buy like sweets and stuff, but you would rarely see them. Like she would always just mostly have healthy foods and um, she never had ramen noodles. She would not let us eat ramen noodles. Like we had to sneak to eat ramen noodles. My grandma would not let us eat those. <laughs> so like just little things like that and seeing how it's had an impact on me as an adult now today. So yeah, I think it's important to just continue to advocate um, on behalf and for like black women and um, really push us to do better in some of those areas. And to your point, how you spoke of extending that support to other black women, how you're trying to pass on what your grandmother taught you. You're the program coordinator for the Black Women's Wealth Alliance. We've mentioned that before. And you said before we started, it grew from uh, regularly scheduled meetings at McDonald's on West Broadway to having your own building. You talked about your aspirations for getting into law, getting a law degree and all that comes with it. So even if sports isn't the lifeblood of what you do these days, Jazz and A, where do you see yourself and how do you see yourself evolving as you continue to be an advocate for women of color like yourself, an advocate for mental health, all of that? How do you see yourself growing and evolving? Yeah. Um, it's funny because I actually want to start my own podcast <laughs> talking about everything that you're talking about right now um, in terms of like uh, advocacy and stuff on behalf of like Black women and um, explaining the importance of physical health. Um, I don't know. I just I believe that even just a lot of issues within the Black community in general, like we need to look at it as more of a holistic approach. Um, and I think a lot of it does start with little things like mental and physical health. And a lot of people wouldn't think that. I think we overlook stuff like that and how much of a toll it has on us. Um, like I learned through IGF, uh, Irreducible Grace Foundation. It's a program that I worked for a couple years back. And um, they there's one thing that really stuck with me. And they said that trauma that doesn't transform transfers. and it just ends up passing down the line. And I think black people, like historical black people here in America in general, we have a lot of trauma that we haven't dealt with. And because of that, it's just trauma that continues to get passed down and passed down and passed down through generations and it's never being you know, taken care of. And I think that's when it leads to more issues like poverty and um, 
other disparities and like lack of opportunities and stuff in our communities because a lot of it too is just it's kind of a mindset like you just kind of get stuck there and yeah there's a lot of things that are holding us back still that you know really isn't our fault but um I think that we can do some work towards you know getting ourselves out of that and I think starting with physical and mental health like that can definitely help push and all we really need is opportunity and access next you know like um yeah, so definitely physical and mental health. Uh, I think it's just taking a toll on the Black community in general. And if we start with some of that, there's a lot of other things that obviously need to take place as well. But that's what we can do for us. Like, that's within our control. Uh, and uh, yeah, I definitely think it's a step that we need to take as a community. So. Well, Jessine, there are a few questions I like to ask of my guests in the podcast series. So as we wait to see what comes next for you, looking back at your athletic career, what would you say was the most exciting moment and the most embarrassing moment? Okay. <laughs> most exciting moment, state, for sure. Um, going to state, that was huge. Um, Oh, yeah, no. Also, okay, so I remember me and Shy before uh, for our basketball season, we both made goals. One of my goals was to like cross someone and make them fall and then hit a shot. I actually got to do that my sophomore year and um, one of the semifinal games. I forgot who we were playing against, but I crossed there. I made her fall and then I hit the three pointer. Probably the best like feeling moment. That was great. Um, and then same with state. Most embarrassing moment. Um, I don't think this happened in high school or at Washburn, but <laughs> I got really excited at tip off and wasn't paying attention. And I scored the first bucket in um, someone else's face or someone, the other team's basket. Pretty embarrassing. <laughs> Never done that before, but that was like the one time that I did it. And then, I mean, I guess um, when we were playing Como, Andrea Adams, and um, the same screen got set on me three times in a row and she hit the long three, three times in a row. That was actually pretty embarrassing for me too. Yeah, didn't, it was on um, the city championship game, so. I remember covering that one. So it's like, oh, great. Now it's on video. So, yeah, definitely on video. People are probably going to go back and watch, you know? Like, hey, it was Andrea Adams, all right. It wasn't right. like some, it wasn't some, you know, random it woman on, it wasn't just some random stranger off the bench. It was Andrea freaking Adams. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She, if there's anyone who could cross up uh, athletes, it was Andrea. So you weren't the only one she victimized on the court. <laughs> For sure. Uh, so I, I think we can let that slide because you know, again, it's Andrea. She, yeah, she was a beast those years. So. Oh yeah, she was the first son of celebrity that I had on YouTube I, because I remember covering games in her senior year, and they couldn't get enough of her. Yeah. I was like, I was amazed. Like everyone wants this to see this Andrea kid, but. Yeah, I mean, but hey, you know this. She, she was a joy to watch, a 
pain in the butt to defend, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually, it's crazy because I actually grew up with her. My mom and um, her dad and mom were really close friends. So I used to go to her growing up. <laughs> yeah, definitely go way back. She's always been like that. Always been a superstar athlete. Probably one of the dopest athletes I know, for sure. Gave me some of my favorite memories as a broadcaster, uh, and I'll never forget that. And it's funny because I remember when you said Washburn and Como, I'm like, I remember the first time, actually the first time I saw Andrea play, she was a sophomore against the Washburn team when Chase was a senior and you had that senior group, but none of us really knew just how good Andrea was, or at least I did. You probably knew she was going to be a star, but she was just another (laughs) athlete all of a sudden. Okay. Uh. <laughs> yeah. This I borrow from the breakdown book, and I love to ask this of my guests because past or present, there's always a good story. What is the most unusual thing about yourself that people wouldn't necessarily know if they met you for the first time? <laughs> um, uh. I don't know. I, okay. I love Matos. I will eat a whole box of those in a day. I'm, it's really weird. I know. I don't know if you've ever heard of Matos, but they're like, um, we used to use them at church for like the last supper. It was like the bread or whatever. Um, or sometimes people in churches, they'll use for communion they'll break them up and they serve them to you for communion and I definitely I will go to Cove and buy a box of those and just eat them I'm really weird for it I know people <laughs> people call me so weird for it but yeah I love those I think they're so good I don't know why they don't really taste like anything but they taste good to me <laughs> so yeah <laughs> that's my that's my little weird Thing I do. I also eat black olives on my pizza. So yeah, those are like my two, my two weird things. <laughs> well, I eat black olives too, or, or I won't mind putting that as a topping, Jasmine. So I guess I have a little bit of weird too. Yeah, <laughs> so um, good. You are the first woman or human that I've met though that will eat an entire box of Mato crackers. I had to look it up just to remind myself what they were, and then it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> there are worse addictions. There are worse things to have an affinity for, Jazzade. So if it's just crackers, you know, you know what? Yeah. It, it can't be that weird. Man, yeah, no. I mean, I guess it's the choice of crackers. Like I could have chose anything, like chicken and biscuit or club crackers, like mm-hmm. something. <laughs> Triscuit is my go-to. So I, I'd say Triscuit for me ranks uh, a few steps above Mato. Yeah. <laughs> Mato, I would need something to season it with, but <laughs> yes. Well, that's all right. It, it who wants to be normal anyway? Let's <laughs> embrace being what? weird, right? <laughs> right. Uh, but like I said, though, you are the first. <laughs> yeah. And now I can't get it out of my head. I regret asking you that question because I can't <laughs> stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's definitely not, okay believe me like I'm, I, I, I'm not laughing at you it's just i'm laughing because it is it is a highly random 
Very random. Uh, nothing that I was expecting. Usually it's like some hobby or skill or something like that, but no, yours is quite specific. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Like, make sure you drink something with them. I was going to say, you, you need something to wash it down with at least. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Do you have a drink of choice? A drink of choice. When, when you, oh, sorry. What was that? Orange Gatorade. So do you down that it with the motto crackers? Yes. I know. Oh. It makes it. <laughs> I, I would, at least it makes it tolerable, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> with me, give me bubbly water and I'm set. I can't even drink pop anymore. Yeah. Bubbly's the best. What's your favorite flavor? <laughs> It's a toss-up between mango and grapefruit. Okay. Yeah, no, those are good flavors. I'm really basic. I always just get lime, but I've tried both of those. They're really good. I switched that for pop after I had a root canal done and had some other work, and I can't go back because whenever I drink pop, I feel sick. Yes, yeah, same. I get a headache. So I only drink sparkling water. And you know what? I haven't had a cavity in almost three years since I made that switch. So it's like, you know what? I don't And I've lost about 15 pounds. Yeah, it'll do that. <laughs> so I'm like, why would I go back? Right. I'm under my college weight. Oh, I guess that's my little unusual fact is that I'm, a, I'm and I was skinny to begin with, but it's like I, I've shrunk even more. Wow. Wow. <laughs> oh, how does your boyfriend, I imagine he, he puts up with all of this in stride, right? He does. Um, yeah, I actually, it's funny because the first few times of us hanging out, we went and got pizza, but I just ate cheese pizza. I didn't put black olives on it because I was so ashamed. I'm like, no, can't show him this weird side. Or even the matzo thing. It took maybe a year before I actually started eating those in front of him. I remember I finished the box like a week or two ago <laughs> and he was like, you're really over there smashing them dry ass crackers. Um, <laughs> like, yep, that's me. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, Jasmine, I was gonna say, at, at least, <laughs> I can't think of a good segue. <laughs> you might have a thing for dry ass crackers, but at least you're not dry ass. That's the important thing. If you were a dry ass personality or a human being, I think we, but you are anything but. I'd say, okay, you know what? You have the personality of the orange Gatorade. That's what, yeah, there it that, is. that's why you got to wash it down because uh, you <laughs> oh you know what i needed a laugh and after we shared a few tears too maybe you maybe that's what you needed and you just didn't know <laughs> i didn't see it coming <laughs> i will say for the black olives i do need other toppings to go with it i can't just eat black olives by itself um i i any and, and it, i i did try it once um and I, it's like okay i like black olives but I tried the Deadpool pizza that was referenced in the first movie, which was pineapple and black olive. And I'm like, okay, 
Oh my gosh, that's actually that pizza's so good. I just won't get it because I don't want people to judge. <laughs> oh, you know what? We'll do a business meeting and then we can do pineapple on the pizza. I threw in some pepperoni just so I had some like something like spicy to go with it, something a little hearty. But yeah, by itself, it's like hot sauce on the pizza. Do what? Close it out. Just put hot sauce on the pizza. Or is that too weird? I mean, we're talking about dry ass crackers for the last five minutes. So what is weird at this point? Right, to be honest, yeah, you're right, you're right, touche. <laughs> uh, I mean, now hot sauce, uh, I don't put it on pizza, but uh, I'm a fan <laughs> of like B-dubs and now they started to sell their sauces outside of this restaurant. So like at Target and Cub, I'll pick those up. And yeah. uh, like, I, I, I like spicy food. I wish I had a higher tolerance for it. People think uh, that's weird. And like I had these cayenne pepper flavored almonds, which I liked until it did a number to my digestive system. And my <laughs> folks are like, why would you punish yourself like this? Like, I like food with a kick. I don't like bland. So I probably would not smash a box of motto crackers with you, Jasmine. I, I hate to say I would probably stick to the Triscuits. But you and I, you know what? It could be. I, I smell a collaboration. Maybe that could be the first entry in your podcast series. It's like, since I put you through the, the ringer for a really long time and made you revisit all these highs and lows as payback, you, your first podcast will have me stuffing down a pineapple olive pizza with hot sauce. Yes. I, I think that that would be a sweet form of revenge for you. Because I know after this, that's I'm sure that's exactly what you're playing. Like, how do I get him back for making me cry and laugh in the same podcast uncontrollably? Yes. Where are we? Oh, there was one more question. Okay. Uh, one more I wanted to get in at least before we wrap it up. And although you and I think we could keep going on for hours on dry ass crackers and weird food. Yeah. <laughs> things. Uh, but with everything you've experienced, and again, maybe you weren't specific, but and that's okay. So whatever your mental health journey was like, whatever you went through emotionally with yourself, and then getting to experience the highs and lows of being a basketball athlete. So with everything you've experienced to this point in sports and life, with what you're doing as a mental health advocate, as an advocate for Black women like yourself and others, as business owners, lawyers, et cetera, what would you tell a younger version of yourself? Mm, such a great question. Um, start the healing process sooner and like, don't be scared to. Um, I think I was scared to do a lot. And that's part of the reason why I also isolated myself. Um, so really just encourage the young Jasmine to, Get out there and don't be afraid to like stick up for yourself and stand your ground and like also heal. Like if that's what you need, do that. Um, don't hold off on it. Cause I feel like sometimes when you hold off on things like that, you could be blocking your blessings. Growth isn't comfortable and never will be, <laughs> but you have to like feel that uncomfortability and you just, you have to go through that in order to experience certain things like it just it comes with it that's life so it's not don't be scared to do that sooner 
And if you don't mind me asking, you just reminded me of something I had thought of before we started. How did you end up with the name Jazzine? Because that you are the <laughs> first woman that I've met with that name. And I yeah. like I, I, I enjoy hearing these kinds of stories. Yeah. Um, okay, so I've been told multiple things. To be honest, I, I really don't know. I don't know. Um, I was told that my mom was trying to mix... Um, I guess my dad wanted to name me Jasmine, but my mom thought that was too basic. So she put um, Jasmine and my dad, Nate, together and made Jasmine A. But then I also heard that my grandma on my dad's side is the one who named me. So I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. And the person who would be able to tell us, you know, unfortunately isn't here. But like, those are the two stories that I've gotten. Fair enough, and I like that name just the way it is, but it is uh, sometimes interesting to hear how some of those names come together. And like I said, when we started- More interesting story for you. What? <laughs> I wish I had a more interesting story for oh, you. Well, you've given me plenty of interesting stories over these last uh, couple of hours. I didn't think we would go this long, but it's clear how much mental health, how much, issues of racism, equality, and even sports, how much all of that matters to you. And from what I can tell, you're not afraid to share yourself in any of those aspects. So maybe the story behind your name isn't that interesting, but we've covered a lot of ground that highlights how interesting, how unique, and how valuable you are to all the people you've been in touch with, whether it's your boyfriend, your colleagues at the Black Women's Wealth Alliance. And who knows if you're able to parlay all of this into a law career with a law degree, if you decide to pursue that route, you'll connect with more people. I really think you've got a fun story to share. And I'm impressed, amazed, and glad that you were willing to share this much about yourself. Thank you. And you mentioned starting your own podcast. So do you have any thoughts on a name or anything like that? Or is that something in the, I guess because you know, people who want to see this, maybe they want to follow your podcast when you're ready to start one and what that might look like. I mean, I guess I would say like point people to my Instagram for now. I like promote everything on my Instagram. Um, so like when I do finally have it mapped out and how I want it, that's probably going to be the first place that I put it. Um, yeah but I definitely I have an idea it's going to be similar to just being able to have like open discussions and dialogue like what we're having now um whether the topic is fitness or finance or racial inequality or like whatever it is as long as it's aligned along the lines of like the black community and um like healing from different traumas and yeah seeking you know mental and physical health that kind of stuff or if nothing else, it would give you an avenue to find someone else who also shares your fondness for model crackers. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's probably the inspiration behind it. Everything. <laughs> Everything. I was just eating one. Just thought of it. The dry. <laughs> Well, 
all these conversations, and that's what I'm going to remember most, the model crackers. <laughs> I hope you're happy, so. Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm truly appreciative of everything you have shared, and I'm glad we were able to make this happen. I know it's took a little bit of doing, but it, I'm glad to see you reach a point where you're willing to talk about yourself. It sounds like there was a time when you weren't ready for that, when perhaps you felt embarrassed or weird to go through all these feelings, but I can tell now you're not afraid of yourself in that respect anymore. And you're willing to accept yourself and everything that comes with it. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for, I, I'm not gonna lie. When you first messaged me, I'm like, why does he want me to be on his podcast and everybody? Cause the whole time I'm thinking like, I remember him from Washburn. He was at all of our games. He did all the reporting. I really feel like he should be like wanting to interview Chase or like one of them. Like, <laughs> why does he want to interview me? This is so weird. <laughs> like, why me? But I, I thank you so much for the opportunity. Seriously, it's been a pleasure like being on this with you. <laughs> oh my God. Sorry, I'm sorry. I've, it's okay. I've lost it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stop. Well, I do have an answer, but I can't stop. <laughs> Why did you do this to me, Jazzade? At the end, <laughs> the motto crackers weren't enough. No, I had to keep going. You had to go for the jugular. No, you had to cross me up. That's what you did. This was your version <laughs> of the cross up, wasn't it? Like you had to cross me up so you could knock down that three pointer in my face. <laughs> Okay, so here is why I kept bugging you about the podcast series. And I said the same thing to Mandy Hill, who was on. Mm -hmm. This podcast series, I started as an extension of my work because for a while I couldn't broadcast with the COVID precautions and I had a situation at home that I had to play cautiously. Yeah. But along that trajectory, there were some sites that I wrote for as a beat writer when I would cover college and WNBA. And unfortunately, the sites I wrote for at, at the time, they ceased operations. So everything that I wrote and other writers wrote were erased and the stories weren't accessible anymore. And I was bummed because you put a lot of work into that. And I wanted to start this as a way to offer in-depth storytelling in ways you normally can't do at games. But an extension of that, yes, I have featured Division I athletes. I've had, I think, all of the incoming Gophers for the 2022 class. I've had WNBA alumni who won championships, another one won Rookie of the Year. I had a former champion from the show American Gladiators on my podcast. So, yes, I featured some notable names, but... I've told athletes past and present, you are more than your rankings, your records, your stat sheet. So whether you scored you know, four or five points, I know you didn't score a ton until you became a senior at Washburn, but that doesn't make you inferior. That doesn't make your story less valid than someone like Chase or Lucia who maybe have more success in the athletic field. And the more I learned about you, when I saw all the reels you shared with your gym check-ins, mental health, 
that's what inspired me to keep pestering you about this podcast was because <laughs> maybe you didn't have the greatest basketball career compared to someone like Chase or Kayla McMorris or Andrea Adams who crossed you up three times and uh, left you feeling uh, helpless and <laughs> silly and all that. Yeah, They're amazing athletes, but everyone has a story worth sharing and you've spent a lot of time making sure that others don't have to go through what you did, giving them a little more preparedness, giving them a little more insight. Yeah. As you said earlier, you went to Northwestern, even though it, it represented none of the values you were looking for in a college. And there were some difficulties along the way, as you've noted throughout this podcast, but you said it helped you discover your purpose amidst all of the chaos and all the turbulence that you had to endure to get there. And so, <laughs> yes, I know people know me as the guy that does the play-by-play -play, and it's always fun to hear of the athletes that go D1 or turn pro and it's fun to follow their careers, but I'd like to think I've gotten just as much material out of people like you who maybe took another path Tia Albert is another one who went D1 and decided to forego eligibility in the middle of her college career. But that doesn't make her story less valuable than a Paige Beckers or a Taylor Hill. So that was a really long-winded explanation, but that was why I thought of you for the podcast was because you've gone through a lot to get to this point. You're not afraid to share everything about your journey and all that came with it. And I thought it would be fun to give you a platform where you can share that about yourself because maybe there's another Jasmine A. Patterson out there who might be going through what you did, whether it's losing a family member at an early age or having to process microaggressions, issues of racism, and maybe they don't have an outlet to express themselves. So that was my motivation to get you on the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And the moral of the story is that everyone has a story. You don't have to be the star athlete to make a difference. So you certainly are doing that. And I have no doubt you will continue to make a difference. And even if we're not going to hear about you as a basketball athlete, I've got a feeling we'll be hearing about you. I'll see your name in the news or on a story for some remarkable achievement because <laughs> If I hadn't done this podcast, I wouldn't have known about the scholarships and all the awards you did pick up. Yeah, that's that sometimes gets lost in the shuffle because people get so caught up with how many offers did you get? How many followers do you have on Instagram? There's more to it than that. And you don't have to be the leading scorer to make a difference. And you're a living example of that. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. I'm proud of what you've accomplished to this point, Jasmine, and I can't wait to see what comes next. Thank you. Thank you. Jasmine A. Patterson, you can follow her, as she noted, on Instagram if you want to follow up on mental health sports or anything. And also, don't forget to check out the Black Women's Wealth Alliance if you might be looking for some support to start your own business or get some insight tips, all of that. Jasmine A. will hook you up with the right people and get you on that path. And if you want to be a guest for a future episode of this podcast, just contact us 
at the Mike Deaton on Twitter or Instagram. All you need is a good story and we're happy to share it. So until next time, thanks for watching. If you'd like to support TSB television programming, check us out on Patreon, PayPal, or Cash App. And thanks for watching Mike Up Sports.